Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with Vince Pearson. And this is part of the UCF DeVos Sports Management Program series, The Power of Sport. And Vince is going to dive into ultimately the evolution of DNI and DNI standing for diversity and inclusion. And Vince will dive into some of his experiences and then uh, what he's currently up to with VSP Diversity Solutions and some of the work that he's been doing, uh, part of Sports Biz Cares as well. Uh, and Vince, you know, just to start off, um, let's just understand a little bit of your background so that the those who are listening can can go, okay. Uh, this is the kind of the lens and the perspective that Vince is looking uh, at this through. Awesome, Jake. Well, I really appreciate it. And it's always good to be here with you again. Um, so for me, we're talking about a few different things because it's power of sport, um, diversity, inclusion. I think what we're going to talk about is kind of the intersection and where these things meet. Um, my background specifically with diversity, inclusion, and sports started when I went to the University of Central Florida um, and got to meet Dr. Richard Lapchick and started at the DeVos Sport Business Management Program. And I was introduced to the racial and gender report cards in sports. Um, I understood sport and its power more so from an experiential standpoint. I knew going to the venues was a unique experience. I knew the audience and the way they were captivated and engaged was something that only sports could do, just from my lived experience. Um, the DeVos program allowed me to kind of imagine what that could do if it was focused on doing good, specifically. Um, and then obviously defining good as really social progress, identifying the ills in society and doing work to address them. Part of it starts with addressing within, and that's kind of what the racial and gender report cards challenge the industry to do. Uh, from there, I went and joined minor league baseball. I was the first ever um, head of diversity and inclusion and was able to build out our initiative there. Did that for close to five years before um, joining Bloomberg, going outside of sports for a little bit and getting some experience um, in, in a hyper corporate environment doing diversity and inclusion. And, and now I'm actually doing the work as a consultant with a handful of clients, Sport Biz Camps being one, um, a handful of clients focusing on strategy and then also kind of educational interventions, I'll call them, um, and building experiences that allow folks to better understand diversity and inclusion and kind of identify their role. Yeah, and and you know, you mentioned DNI and and it's it's a term that's thrown around often, but to help those who are listening better understand just the evolution of DNI. Um, where it where it started, where it originated, and ultimately how it's progressed through, you know, the sports industry. I mean, you, you see all the all of these chief diversity and inclusion officers, or 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 diversity equity and inclusion officers being hired now at a bunch of different teams and leagues. And uh, again, to your point about social progress, right? That's just one step uh, in in the process. So um, enlighten us a little bit on kind of just the evolution of it. Uh, and maybe a little bit through your experiences with with MILB to where uh, it has become a well-known term now in the industry. Yeah, I think that, you know, one diversity inclusion is not unique to sports. Um, I can remember having a conversation with uh, Jim Rooney as a part of a, a series or excuse me, as a part of our career exploration camp hosted with sport biz camps. And he talked about 
uh, Dan Rooney's approach to integrating the Steelers. Um, that's kind of the birthplace of diversity and inclusion is it, it, integration efforts. Um, you know, the, the civil rights movement and the conversations that were being had then, that's, this is the corporate version of that. Uh, that's what I view diversity and inclusion as. So that's kind of like the, the impetus. That, that's where this begins, the genesis, I should say. Um, from there, kind of graduated to affirmative, affirmative action. Um, there were very stringent federal requirements um, placed on specific organizations that had to fit a specific count when it came to uh, women and people of color in a workspace. Um, you know, and that kind of feeds some of the, you know, um, some of the resistance rhetoric that we hear in terms of lowering the bar or diversity hires to a number, um, those types of things, because at a point in time, uh, there was some truth to that. Um, I won't say truth to it, uh, but affirmative, affirmative actions approach uh, was so that it required it. Um, I think what we see now is a much more dynamic approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and it's quickly growing uh, because there's been a body of work in the DEI space that has existed for decades. Um, things like critical race theory, uh, work around intersectionality. This work has existed since the 60s and 70s. Um, sports wasn't paying much attention. We didn't have to. Not a lot of professional sectors, a lot of industry didn't have to. But what we're seeing now is we're quickly needing to play catch up. Um, so, you know, I think that the, what, what's unique though is that sports can, I think can play more than we can outkick our coverage in that we can impact beyond the four walls of our organizations. Um, when we do things and do them correctly, we're going to impact the communities that we exist within. Um, so I think that's like the unique potential, like the unique space that sports occupies. Um, and that's kind of, you know, when we talk about power sports, that's what I'm hoping that we get to activating. I don't know if I answered your question. No, I mean, it makes total sense. You think about uh, the way in which it can impact those around you. You know, you mentioned um, the ability in which sports has a different platform than, say, you know, a typical given corporate company, right? Um, there are plenty of corporate companies that have, you know, exposure and kind of, you know, take a Walmart, for example, or a Target. Like, they actually have people and locations all across the country, right? And that goes the same for sport to where, you know, you might have a league, you might have um, an entity like MILB that had 160 teams and 160 communities, right? There's a way in which you can do one thing to expand across a lot of different communities and a lot of different places. Uh, and ultimately the power of sport being the brand uh, behind the league, behind the team, behind uh, the people, and the athletes themselves, ultimately having that higher um, ability to spread awareness quicker and faster. And as you mentioned, to play catch up, right? That's kind of one place in which it can be done. Um, you think about what's going on right now in our country and, and ultimately the evolution of, of DNI as a whole. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the, you know, things that we just 
overall, whether it's two, three, four, five things that we all just need to understand as an industry um, to better educate ourselves, to better have, you know, uh, further conversations in uh, helping others. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things that's really important to understand is that this is about change. Um, in order for diversity, equity, inclusion officers or initiatives to be successful, something has to change. Um, and change does not happen accidentally, um, especially change in the right direction, um, change for progress. It doesn't happen accidentally. And oftentimes it's not even gonna happen organically. It has to happen intentionally. Um, so it's, you know, and there's been a lot of conversation around, it's not enough to be not racist, you need to be anti-racist. Um, I think the core of that message is it's not enough to just not be a part of the problem. We need you to accept that we are all a part of the problem and start to shifting into how can we all be part of the solution? We all have a role to play. Um, we all have a sphere of influence. We all have a perspective, a voice. We all have something to offer. Um, and the when, and when you don't, that actively either encourages the status quo or directly works against um, the progress that diversity initiatives are working for. So that would be the one thing. Um, that was a really long one thing. But just to understand that we all have a role to play and to be intentional about that. Um, the other is to just be really intentional about educating yourself. Um, there's no, uh, even working in diverse inclusion for close to, you know, close to 10 years, about eight years now, every, I could almost point to each year and say what part of my journey was enhanced this year. Oh, this year I learned, I learned way more about X. This year I learned about Y. This year I had to learn more about myself. It's a learn, it's a constant flow of learning, of developing, of engaging, of challenging yourself, of growing. Um, we can't come into it. Um, and I think I said this on another conversation. You, you can't come here like looking for wins. You got to look for work. We can't goal against this like we do revenue goals. Um, it's not we're going to sell X and, and reap the benefits of Y. Um, it's a long term play. It's a lifelong play. Um, it almost has to be personal. Um, so I think that's what makes this different than a lot of other bottom line focused initiatives. It has bottom line um, dividends for sure, once you get it right, creating an inclusive environment, creating a space where you've got unique perspectives and you're able to actually leverage those. Um, but that as your core motivator, um, I think it's gonna take much longer to see success than if you genuinely embrace a lifelong journey of becoming more culturally competent, um, being intentional about having spaces that are diverse and where everyone feels truly included. Um, I think it's, it's understanding, like almost that this has to be personal. Um, you gotta take it personally and make it personal to you and part of that is educating yourself. And, and the diversity aspect, yes, a majority of it is, um, you know, minorities and, and you know, females and, and 
people of color within the workforce. But with all of that, to your point, everyone's got a role. There's the there's a diversity of experience. There's the diversity of thought. The diversity of perspective. Um, you know, the list can go on and on. But as you think about some of those that are important, diversity of thought, et cetera, that that are important to just again understand how you yourself can get better in those areas. Uh, what are a couple things that stand out to you from uh, the latter uh, in terms of how those who are listening right now can not only better themselves, but but through that, better those that are around them as well? I think the best thing that you can do specifically when it comes to diversity of thought is find your tribe that doesn't look like you. Um, that to me is the best way to be exposed to truly true diversity of thought. Like, I don't think you know, and it's actually one of those buzzwords that to me is, um, can be misleading it, because there was a situation, I can't remember what board it is and, or was, and it's probably best that I don't remember and name a company. Um, but it was a room full of white men and there was a woman of color who was the head of DNI, and she said, we can still have diversity of thought in this room because you know, Joe's from Ohio and Tom is from California. It's like, that's, that's kind of bastardizing the diversity of thought as, as we're wanting to position it. So I think that when, when we talk about diversity and thought, we can't minimize the impact of identity. Um, there is a perspective that no matter how many books I read, no matter how many podcasts I listen to, there's a perspective that a woman has that I will never have, period that lived experience is invaluable and irreplaceable. The only way that I can truly, I don't wanna say benefit from it, but the only way um, that I can engage with it is to engage with it. So I've gotta have it in my circle. So I think when it comes to diversity of thought, that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, that That's the development lever to pull is you look at your mentors, how many of them don't look like you? Look at your mentees. How many of them don't look like you? How many, if I'm a, I'm a black man, how many, I had to ask myself again, every year there's something else on my journey. Every, I challenged myself. I said, I need a white woman as a mentor because I have not had that um, pronounced enough in my mentorship base. Um, and I challenged myself to find one. And I was really upfront after we got comfortable with each other and told her like my story is, you know, I, I was intentional about finding you as a mentor because here's a gap in, in my, here's a blind spot I found for myself and I wanted to fix it. You know, and, and we hit it off and it worked out, but you know, I think that that to me is the biggest thing people can do um, is just to start being exposed to more, you know, it's tough to do now in a virtual environment, but there's conferences, chamber of commerce, there's happy hours and all these things that are always happening around us and we choose the ones that we're most comfortable with do the ones that make you uncomfortable and be okay with that and and it can be outside of sports you know you mentioned that you went and took a step outside of sports for you know a, a split second and you know just the ability to what did you learn going outside of sports that those in the sports industry can learn from um <laughs> I learned, I learned a lot. I, I learned about part of, part of what I learned is, is the ground that sports has to cover. Um, and that's, I say that as respectfully as I can. Um, but in terms of 
especially in the DNI conversation, the data that's being brought to the table, the sophistication with which the conversations are being had, and the sophistication of human resources departments and their approach to everything from filling the pipeline for candidates to employer branding to secession planning to um, payment bans, you know, or compensation bans. All of these things I feel like were conversations that just didn't happen as often um, in the sports space. So I think that that was one of the things, but also it introduced me to, you know, folks who thought very differently than me. Um, I was in a work environment. This was one of the, and this is actually part of how I knew I had to get back to sports. Um, Kobe Bryant died in January and my world was rocked. Like even now today, when I think about Kobe Bryant passing away, um, it just feels like something is not right in the world. Um, I got to work the next day and it was like, nobody skipped a beat. You know, nobody brought it up. Nobody, I know the entire sports world mourned the next day. Probably the next, probably still. But in that finance and tech space, there were people who were unbothered. I mean, until you mentioned it to them, but there were people who were unbothered. It was like, okay, I got to get back to my people. Um, but it was, it was valuable for me to be exposed to people who thought just so much differently than me. Um, folks who were, you know, geniuses and using all those equations I saw in statistics class on a daily basis um, to get to connect and have those conversations. That was a valuable experience for me. Um, but it also showed me, and this is, you know, share with mentees all the time, sometimes your career path is learning what, what you don't want to do. Um, and I learned quickly that there's a reason I chose sports. And, you know, you, you mentioned sports, right? We, we, we mentioned at the beginning of this kind of the power of sport. And I want to ask you what you think your definition of the power of sport is. Oh, man, the definition of the power of sport. You know, you could have sent me that one in advance. Um, <laughs> no. I, when I think about the power of sport, again, it really all comes back to um, using this unique connector of people for social progress. I don't, I don't think the power of sport can be um, recognized without connecting it to moving society forward, moving society from where we are to closer to where we should be, um, which is in an inequitable society. I think that one of the things about sport that we have to stop doing is resting on the laurels of power of sport because you have a game tens of thousands maybe even hundreds of thousands of people come together um, now we're all even coming together virtually and we have a shared experience and in that moment dr lapchick put it very perfectly in that moment that's like the huddle it doesn't matter if you you know buddhist muslim or jewish none of that matters we're on the same team we're for the same purpose we want the same win I think it's creating that outside of the huddle. Like how do we make that more consistent, that feeling? So I don't think that, I think the power of sport, well, that point is we can't rest on that because we bring people together, the power of sport has been recognized. It has to be activated. Um, I think right now sport has unlimited power, but it's dormant. We don't use it often enough. We don't activate it. Um, in fact, 
sometimes we get uncomfortable when it's activated, you know, come insert shut up and dribble, insert Colin Kaepernick situation, what's happening with Eric Reed. That activation of power of sports is like we know it's so powerful that we get upset with the people who activated a little bit too much. Um, so I think that's part of in for sport business professionals, it's finding out for ourselves how what our role is in activating uh, the power of sports to drive that social progress. Because I think it's been dormant for too long. I think we can do a lot more. You mentioned kind of the comfortability versus uncomfortability and uh, in regards to the activation of it you know we've seen a lot over this this period of COVID-19 and and everything that's happened uh, from city to city and market to market from an activation perspective though um, where can organizations teams leagues can they align together as opposed to all individually in their silos doing different things yeah, um, you know, I think that I think part of that looks like the sports strike that we saw last month, where the Milwaukee Bucks chose not to play. Obviously, the Magic can't play. That's their opponent at the time. The next couple of games were canceled, and then it's like, well, Major League Baseball is also not going to play. Well, Major League Soccer is not going to be the one that goes out to play. I think that is like an organic occurrence of sports kind of banding together almost. Um, but yeah, this, that happened organically. But look how quickly that message spread. Um, now, whether or not it turned into the impact that we wanted to see, I think is still yet to be determined. But that is just what that connection can look like. Um, and again, this is very specific to what happens on the field of play. So I think for sport biz professionals, it's still a question of how do we draw that connection. Um, but I think it's just being in lockstep. It's not being, it's not shying away from the power of sports and moments where we get to, to leverage that. Um, so I guess one of the, I mean, the, the best way that we see it now is the conversation around voting. Um, everybody can get behind it. You know, there, there's, it, it's, it's, it's safe. Um, it's reasonable. Um, and it's, it's hella important, right? It, it's the most important thing right now to do. Um, I guess it's a matter of just not letting up with, with what's easy. Um, I, I don't know exactly what it looks like for sports teams to band together. I know that it has to look like um, connecting genuinely to your community. It has to look like connecting to those who um, are in, in need and for those who are experiencing the, the wrong side of the stick when it comes to the, the equitable outcomes that we're wanting to strive for. Um, and it's uncovering the, the BS, you know, where there's Inequitable, in where there are inequitable outcomes, there's a group that's privileged. Um, it, where there's marginalized groups, there's groups who are, you know, overcompensated or overprivileged. We can't only look at one side of the spectrum. We've got to be able to look at the whole picture um, and uncover what's good, bad, and ugly. I think that's part of like what happens behind the scenes. And I think the sport industry would do that together. Um, 
that would send a really powerful message. We talked about kind of the evolution of DNI, where it's where it's come from, um, how it's evolved. Where do you see it going in the future? And the future is a very vague term, right? So uh, if we said tomorrow versus next week versus next month, right. next year, totally different circumstances for probably each one. Uh, but as a whole, just in the very near future, um, where do you see DNI and is it DENI? How how should it be referred to going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's something that has changed over decades. I think we're calling it. The conversation is diversity, equity, inclusion now. This time, five years ago, when I was first getting started, it was diversity, inclusion. Um, you see some folks who say inclusion and diversity. Um, but again, this it started as integration and civil rights. It's going to rebrand itself again in 10, 15 years. I think the important part is the work. Um, I don't care what you call it. You know, I'm here to make sure that equitable outcomes can be experienced by anyone who wants to be in this industry. I'm here to remove barriers for the people who are experiencing barriers at a, a rate that, that's unjustly distributed. Um, I think if we could all have that mentality, then call it what you want. I think it's going in a direction where I, I think it has become more dynamic. I think it's going to become even more dynamic. And by that, I mean just really intertwined with the business model of how we do things. Um, I could see diversity, inclusion, practitioners, specialists, strategists having a seat at the table when we're having ticket sales conversations, when we're having special events conversations, um, you know, when we're having community event conversations, because we're wanting to sometimes, you know, and I was able to do that at minor league baseball. And sometimes just my presence in the room as the DE&I guy allowed us to approach the conversation differently. Um, that's the impact that we want to have. It's comprehensive. It, it's not just a matter of um, who's represented, but it's how we do business. So I think that that's where it's headed. Um, but it, it's, it won't, it's not going to go in that direction without resistance. It's going to be, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't want your show to go political, but you know, there's right now mandates about not doing diversity and inclusion trainings in federal environments. That is resistance. Um, you know, that's going to encourage CEOs of small and large companies who may not even have federal contracts. Um, so, you know, I think that's part of, keeping the momentum pushing is because we're going to face resistance. And if we don't have momentum, when that resistance really shows up, it, it could start to move us in the wrong direction. Well, and as you mentioned at, at one point in the episode, it's kind of how do you become a part of the solution, right? One way or another, understanding your role. Uh, and ultimately, those roles can evolve and change too, right? Just because you start out helping in one area doesn't mean you can't branch off and, and do something different. You know, someone like yourself, you were part of a big organization as, as a league office. Uh, now you're kind of on the consulting side doing your own thing. And, you know, as you think about um, what those in the business can do to get into the DE&I space from a, from a professional standpoint, what are some of the things that you've learned along the way and you've noticed to be able to give advice to those who want to get into that space and, and what they can do? Well, one, I tell you to reconsider. Don't, don't, don't come to this space. No. 
No, I, I think that I say that half joking and half not. I think that specifically for women and people of color, I think that if you can get into marketing, sales, business strategy, if you can get into those roles, don't don't come to DNI because we need is we need representation on that side of the business. Um, that's my own personal feeling. For those who do want to transition, I, I'll tell you what helped me um, in my beginning with minor league baseball, and even when I was in the DeVos program and, and starting to be interested in this space, was um, going where the experts are. I attended conferences, I sat in on conversations, I, I had mentors in the space. Um, that to me was the best practical learning I could give. Uh, there was one specifically, um, form on workplace inclusion. I would go and every year the content, and this wasn't sports specific, but the content there was phenomenal. Um, every, and it was very intentional. There was very few like workshops on, there, there wasn't a like diversity inclusion workshop. It was very specific. It was like, you know, engaging Asian American, uh, workforce in a predominantly white environment. It's like, okay, that, that's, those are the like granular conversations that, you know, when we get really deep in the space that we're having, um, I think exposure to that is the thing. Uh, I, I'm not a big proponent of, you know, the certifications. I think Cornell has an excellent program. George Washington has an excellent program. Those are certainly helpful. Um, I think it's the exposure. And you don't have to work in diversity inclusion to make an impact. Um, employee resource groups are a great space to make an impact, but then just be a culture carrier for your organization. Um, call out BS when you see it and when you hear it. Uh, you know, if you see folks being interrupted in a, in a conversation, um, speak up for that. Set the culture that, that you want to see, whether you're a leader or not. So I think it's don't feel like you have to have diversity and inclusion in your title to advocate for um, the same things that we're advocating for. No, that's a great point. And, and being a co-chair of an employee resource group, it's certainly, uh, again, a way to impact people. And even if it's the simplest thing of just connecting one person to another, right, that alone can, you know, be powerful in itself, uh, because you don't know where that conversation is going to lead and who it's going to impact and, and how. So, um, again, I think you, you bring up a great point in that it doesn't have to be in your title. There's always ways to integrate it. And I think we kind of started that, uh, the conversation that way is from an integration standpoint, how do you, whether you're selling tickets, sponsorships, you know, setting up the field, uh, setting up a stadium, right? There's, there's DE&I somehow, some way integrated into it. Um, and it doesn't have to be something that you can tangibly see. Uh, sometimes it can be that, you know, that, that one thing that you just think a little bit differently about, um, or you have a different perspective, or you say, I'm going to ask someone else, right, about how to do this, because I, my way isn't the only way, right? Um, what are some of those things as we wrap up this episode that, you know, you asked yourself as you were working with other departments across the board of, hey, think twice about this. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it, that was one of the things that I enjoyed the most about my time in minor league baseball is that I got to experience so many different departments. And I would approach it genuinely like, 
I, I try to model the behavior that that I expect from from leaders um, and, and from from folks who are new to an organization. Um, if I'm sitting in a brand conversation, I've got a lot to learn here before I can start to contribute. I'm asking as many questions as possible, um, and I'm wanting to understand how this side of the business works. And then from there, I start to infuse um, questions that may spark thinking along the lines of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's 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 thinking beyond. I think representation is such a big piece, and so we cannot understate that. If you're in a department and you've been there for ten years, and you can count the number of women you've worked with on one hand then maybe it's a time to ask yourself or someone else why that is. Um, if the internship program is, homog is homogenous, um, it's time to ask yourself or the hiring managers why that is. Um, and, and be open to finding real solutions. And, and the, other, the, the other piece is to not fall in love with seeing yourself as a good person because I think that is part of what keeps us from engaging in this conversation is because bad people are biased. You know, bad people are not inclusive. Bad people don't support diversity and inclusion. The truth of the matter is we're operating within systems that, you know, were set in stone long before we got here. Um, and the remnants of racism, sexism, and discrimination against other marginalized groups continue to exist. We don't have to uphold them for them to persist. We do have to dismantle them for them to go away. So don't think that a conversation about, hey, Vince, your last 10 hires have looked just like you. That's not me saying, hey, Vince, you're a bad person, aren't you? It's just saying, hey, might there be a blind spot? Is there room to have a conversation here? Um, or can we be intentional about getting women into the pipeline? It's, so just let go of the love of being a good person um, and and I'd say fall in love with being a person that's doing the work, a work in progress. Fall in love with being a work in progress. WIP, we, know, we all know everyone loves their sports acronyms. There you go. Uh, so WIP, you know, look, it, not to steal a page out of Simon Sinek's book, but it's almost as if the power of why is just as important as the power of sports uh, and ultimately the two combined are that much more powerful. Um, any last words for our listeners? Well, Jake, you know, it's always a pleasure. I would say um, when we, again, just reiterating the power of sport has to revolve around moving society forward. Um, if your power of sport definition differs from that, I'd love to hear how, and I'd love to hear how we might be able to infuse um, moving society forward into that. Um, because that is that is something sports can do like no other entity in, in our country or in our world. Um, I firmly believe that. Um, it's about time we start doing it. So let's get to work. Vince, appreciate the insights, the advice, the thoughts. Uh, as part of this Power of Sports series with the DeVos Sports Management Program, uh, you know, appreciate it and uh, always look forward to the next conversation. Awesome, brother. Talk to you soon.